Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and I hope everybody is enjoying their day today. It's Sunday right now when I'm recording, and it's been a really good weekend for me. Like, anxiety's been low, been feeling good, Um, but I am really excited. I've been wanting to, I've been looking for a Black woman to talk about a particular topic that's somewhat taboo, even within mental health, which is already taboo. But I've been searching for a Black woman to talk about uh, psychedelics and like how they how they fit into mental health um, and how they fit in on the clinical side. Um, and like, is it legal? Is it not legal? All the questions that I have. Um, but I have a special guest today. We've got Dominique Lewis. Welcome, Dominique, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Yay. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I was like trying to stop myself from writing way too many questions because I'm like, we got we got a time limit. I can't go too crazy and, and write too many questions. But um, I am really excited to get into uh, psychedelics and, and, and what you do um, on your day to day and how that looks. So before we get started, we are going to do our quick question round, which is just three minutes of quick fire questions. You give me the first thing that comes to mind. If you have wow. a story behind it, you can tell us if you don't have a story and you just got like a quick answer. That's fine too, but it's just three minutes. All right. Rapid fire. I'm ready. Yeah. No pressure. Ready? Here we go. No pressure at all. What are three things you need in your dream house? Oh my God. A killer kitchen. Not that I cook. I just love the way it looks. Oh, <laughs> Um, I love a, that. A two-story closet, mm-hmm. and I have four. A bathroom because I feel like a a bathroom slash spa, and um, a livable outdoor space. Oh, I love that! Yeah. I love that. That's really good. In, in the bathroom, are we are we talking like? Is there, is there like a massage table in the corner? It's like a full like, sauna. Okay. Yes. Yes. Like the whole shebang. Okay, it's, I love that. For my I invite health. myself for ladies, like Anytime. ladies spa night? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that's such a good answer. I feel like that is, what, what's in your two-story closet? Is it like mostly shoes? Is it? It's like accessories on ground one and attire oh, cool. on ground two. Okay, you've thought this out before. I've that's thought neat. this through. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the blueprint like rolled up. <laughs> Um, what, uh, do you drink coffee or tea or neither? Tea. Tea? No coffee. No coffee? No coffee. I'm Earl, I'm an Earl Grey with a splash of lemonade and, um, three to four honeys from Starbucks. Wow. Earl Grey with a splash (laughs) of lemonade. So you're that person that pulls up to Starbucks and they're like, okay, she's here. Earl Grey, just a splash of lemonade. Are we doing ice in that or are we doing it hot? No, I like it warm. I like to take care of the vocals makes me feel cozy it's good for respiratory thrive like um, I'm not a fan of coffee if you are uh, this is a a little ahead of us but if you suffer from anxiety things like caffeinated beverages are not good for you today's all about education so we may as well start early (laughs) (laughs) that's why I've moved to decaf and have to limit limit my intake throughout the week because oh that coffee will have you going you know losing it a little bit so um, if you could choose one or the other, would you choose to be able to teleport or to fly? Oh, wow. Teleport. Teleport? Where are you going yes. first? Paris. Oh, okay. Yes. I like yes. that. To the inside to the inside of the Louvre during off hours. Oh, again, I feel like you've thought about this. <laughs> she has not seen the questions before. <laughs> she just got these answers like coming. I love it. Um, are you, I was going to say, are you a traveler or a homebody? But I'm assuming if you're going to go to Paris, you're a traveler. I'm a bit both. It depends on, um, it depends on the mood. I love to travel and 
when I say travel, I don't mean like, I'll take the red eye to Chicago for the day. That's fine. But I really like to um, emerge in different cultures. Yeah. So in, in my mind, um, if I were not responsible for a little human, I would really just spend my life living and emerging myself in different cultures and different languages and different foods. So, yeah. Same, same. That's my dream. Um, are you a morning person or a night person? I guess morning. I'm morning like in bed by eight. Oh. But it's, it's because, well, that's a loaded question. I feel like if you have children, you're forced to live and adopt their schedule. So mm. um, out of responsibility, I'm a bit of a morning person. Um, before you I, had children, before you had a child, were you a morning person? I was more of a night person. Really? Yeah, I was more of a night person. Okay. But that, then it could, could it, that could be related to evolution as well. I'm older now in my twenties. I was very much a night person. Now I'm like eleven thirty. Oh my god, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, turn the TV off. It's time to go to bed. That's right. Shut it down. Lights <laughs> out. <laughs> oh man. Um, have you ever completed anything on your bucket list? And if so, what was it? All the time. Um. I spent some, I used to spend time in South America. I went there for a mission trip. Um, and by the time I left, I was fairly fluent in Spanish and I'm not anymore. If you don't, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. But I was, I was fluent enough in Spanish to where I would think in Spanish and I would catch myself think like, oh, no, I'm thinking in a completely different language. Um, so South America was one of my buckets. Um, I have a few more to go though. Okay. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I was just in, um, Columbia the other day and it was like insane. It was just beautiful. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Columbia. Yeah, what, 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 what part of Columbia were you in? Were you in Cartagena? Um, Cartagena? Yeah. Uh -huh. In the walled city. It was like, oh, oh I want to go back so bad. <laughs> wow. How long did you stay? Um, we were there for about a week, so we worked from there. It was just like a spur-of-the-moment trip and went with some friends and just worked from there, and it was like so I love spur-of-the-moment. Me too. Yeah, <sighs> the best the best trips have always been spur-of-the-moment. Really yes. minimal planning, you know, what are we going to do next? And, and then you just awesome. go for it, yeah. right? Just get your passport and, like, show up. Just passport, go, yeah. chargers, and yep. underwear. Like, everything else you That's can buy it. when you, you can get there. Get. Yeah. <laughs> That's my logic. <laughs> um, what's your favorite holiday tradition? Oh, Christmas carols and putting up the Christmas tree. I have that planned for today. Don't judge me. I know it's oh, early. I'm not judging. I am not judging. I'm headed to go get hot cocoa and um, put up the Christmas tree with Christmas carols and Christmas DJs today with my little guy. So. Oh, I love that. I'm like... <laughs> I love the holidays. My favorite holidays are Halloween and Christmas. So like oh. I'm big on Halloween and then Christmas comes like as soon as Halloween's over, it's like, okay, are we using the same tree? Are we going to get a new tree? I need to go get more decorations. Like, and then the tree stays up to like February, like Valentine's yeah. day hits. And then, I and then the, the tree stores. comes down. Okay. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll take yeah. it down. Right? Now I'll let it go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, all the work that it took me to get this tree up, you would understand why it needs to stay up for as long as possible. I, I advocate for trees to stay up as long yeah. as they need to stay up. Yeah, they bring joy. What's the problem? Right, exactly. Yeah. You walk in, if you have a bad day and you walk into the house, it's hard the Christmas to be tree. Upset with Christmas. Yeah, and then you turn the lights on and it's like, and it's cold, you get a blanket. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm, I'm going to put my tree up next weekend. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing um, sure. my little quick questions uh, round. But we're going to hop into the next segment, which is our mind game segment. Basically, this is a segment that I do in every episode where I give the audience a description of a mental health disorder mm. and they can take a guess, but they don't find out the answer until the very end of the episode. Okay. All right. You can't guess because you probably know. A lot of the mental health professionals are like, I can see the, the lights going off. They're like, oh, I know what that is. Um, all right. You ready? Ready. Okay. Everybody listening. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. This personality disorder 
uh, is a specific type of anxious personality disorder. People with this particular personality disorder often feel helpless or submissive or incapable of taking care of themselves. They often have trouble making simple decisions, um, but with help, someone with, a, with this particular personality disorder can learn self-confidence and self-reliance. Uh, this is one of 10 different types of personality disorders, um, and it usually starts by the age of 29. People with this particular personality disorder have an overwhelming need to have others take care of them. Often a person with this disorder relies on people close to them for their emotional or physical needs. Um, others may describe them as needy or clingy. Um, people with this disorder believe they may believe they can't take care of themselves. They may have trouble making everyday decisions such as what to wear without the reassurance of others. Uh, statistics show that roughly about 10 10% uh, of adults have this particular personality disorder. So if you're listening on Spotify, go ahead and drop your guess in the little box below. If you're listening on Apple, hit up Apple and ask them why they don't have the same feature. <laughs> I would love for y'all to participate too, but hang tight. We are going to get back to the answer of the Mind Games question at the very end of this episode. But for now, we are going to hop into the meat and potatoes of this episode. The main reason why we've got Dominique here. Um, and that is to talk about psychedelics. So psychedelics have uh, have had an interesting history, I think particularly here in this country where there was a phase where it was a focus of science. I believe it was back in the 50s or 60s. And then they kind of got pushed to the side and there was a big taboo saying that we basically don't need these in society and we're also not funding any research for them anymore. Mm -hmm. So we went a long time where 60s, 70s, 80s, people were experimenting with these drugs as they, uh, just from the street, um, just from whether that's going and getting mushrooms in the forest or getting them from your local mushroom provider or wherever it may be. But um, outside of the clinical setting, um, people have been exploring psychedelics. But as of recently, psychedelics have been making some sort of a comeback uh, in the clinical setting and there's been uh, a little bit more, a lot more studies and research into how they can actually help, particularly within mental health. So I, I guess first things first is, Dominique, what are some of the biggest misconceptions around psychedelics? Um, excellent question. Um, before I answer the question, I'm gonna kind of go into a, a small bio about myself so that everyone is I'm aware. I'm so sorry, of why... <laughs> No, I got too excited. We were talking about two-story closets, and I just skipped right over the bio. <laughs> so, Dominic, tell the people who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Right. So, my name is Dominic Lewis. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Um, I treat and diagnose and prescribe across lifespan population, so roughly zero to 99 years of age for um, general mental health, severe mental illness. Mental health, general mental health, of course, includes um, stress disorders, PTSD, trauma, um, anxiety disorders, mood disorders, depression disorders, um, and then some substance use disorders, whether it be um, amphetamine or opioids or alcohol use. Um, I also prescribe um, psychotropic and psychedelic therapy um, in roughly about 10 states with consideration of um, adopting some additional coverage spaces soon. Um, so relative to your question about um, psychedelic therapy and um, its origins, you're absolutely right. We've kind of come full circle with psychedelic therapy. Um, there was a, a time in history where um, psychedelics were prescribed for everything from hysteria to um, um, pain. And um, we reached a threshold where um, widespread usage um, um, essentially established some addictive potentials. And as a result of that, um, many options for psychedelic therapy, um, LSD, one, another one, psilocybin, mushrooms, um, ended up being classified as schedule one therapy. And if you're familiar with drug schedules, then that's medication that is deemed to have no therapeutic benefit. Um, 
the medication that I will be specifically referring to today is ketamine. And ketamine is actually a Schedule Three therapy um, that has FDA approval as a disassociative anesthetic, um, typically reserved in the OR for sedative or sedation procedures or um, things of that nature. Um, when it comes to prescribing the medication or um, administering it for mental health, it's actually um, provided as an off-label usage. That that's something that you can provide for an FDA-approved medication that is found to have um, additional therapeutic usage. We I want to go back into the schedule just a little bit. I know you mentioned Schedule One means there's no therapeutic potential, mm-hmm. or and then Schedule Three. So on the on the grand span of schedules, where do some of like the SSRIs lie? Is that like higher on the schedule because it's more acceptable for treatment and then ketamine is lower on the schedule? So that's an excellent question. So as far as um, schedule therapy for um, antidepressant therapies, antidepressant medications, um, some of your Lexapros or Zoloft, those are actually non-schedule medications because particularly scheduled medications um, refer to addiction potential. And so um, a lot of medications like... um, Something, the, something else that you could think of, uh, beta blockers, medications that are often used for hypertension or um, cardiovascular treatments. They're not scheduled. Other medications that are scheduled that the audience may, um, um, may be familiar with are benzodiazepines, things like Xanax, um, um, opioids, um, Adderall, some of your stimulant therapy, Vyvanse, um, Ritalin, um, Concerta, those medications are scheduled too. So the schedule goes from um, one to five. Um, the higher the number, the lower the addiction potential. Um, the higher, I'm sorry, the higher the number, the lower the addiction potential, the lower the number, the higher the addiction potential. In that, in, in that space, you have to determine therapeutic benefit versus risk. Um, so when you are, are ketamine being at num- on three is right in the middle. And historically, utilizing it for sedation meant very sporadic usage every now and then. Most people don't go and have procedures on a daily basis. Um, But even now, with considering it for um, more frequent administration for an off-label usage, um, addiction potential is still something that we have to be considerate of when um, implementing a treatment plan for the medication. Not uncommon to other medications that have therapeutic benefit and risk potential like opioids or benzodiazepines or even stimulant therapy. Um, medications that are, are recommended and maintained with a licensed clinician um, and that you're combining, and I can't stress this enough, that you're combining with lifestyle modifications and non-drug therapy interventions, things like psychotherapy, exercise, um, particular particular modes of interventions like um, CBT or DBT or commitment and acceptance therapy. Um, medication should be considered an adjunct to other interventions that you're applying on a daily basis, even um, what we were referencing earlier, like um, reducing or eliminating caffeine from your diet. If you suffer from something like anxiety on a daily basis? Um, Are there medication strategies that could be effective in order to um, mitigate against presentation of anxiety? Absolutely. But we also have to be really cognizant about those things that we can do outside of medication therapy to make our lives and um, what makes us individuals more more manageable. Right. And so it is really looking at the whole picture. And even if for somebody that may be thinking like, okay, maybe this is something I'm interested in. This is not a one pill cure all. This is a part of the wider view. So what you're eating, how much exercise you're getting, like being outside um, Mm -hmm. and then CBT cognitive, that's cognitive behavioral therapy for anybody that's listening. And then DBT, I can't remember the acronym for DBT. Dialectical behavioral therapy. It's, it's specific to a certain type of personality disorder, but um, whatever interventions or mode of therapy that you're engaging in, um, like commitment and acceptance therapy is another one, holistic therapy, other behavioral interventions, um, just making sure that you are taking care of yourself from a holistic approach. Like you said, um, 
I'm not sure if this is where you were going, but I'll, I'll interject this for a second. If you are someone who suffers from depression, for example, um, depression is, is not a unimodal um, illness. It's something that affects us on a physical basis. Um, our environment can contribute to our mood and anxiety. And then um, socially, our social environment can contribute to that. So taking medication isn't going to change our physical aspect or our environment um, if it's depleting or causing a decline in our mood. It's also not going to be a cure-all, as you, as you so eloquently put it, um, to our social environment. And so we really have to, um, again, be cognizant of all aspects of our care, our physical health, um, our social health, and our environment, and how it's all contributing as a whole um, to our mental health, and then make sure that we're intervening at each one of those junctures. Yes, I love that. It's like a full treatment system. That's right. Yes. And I want to, for anybody that, that is listening and is like, I've never heard of ketamine. Like, what is ketamine? Can you tell us what is ketamine? Maybe, sure. yeah, give us a little bit of history behind that. Sure. So ketamine itself, is, it's, a, it's a psychoactive molecule known as um, R-cycling hexylamine, if I'm not butchering that too bad for the audience. It was, um, it was first synthesized as a drug in like the 1960s. And it was classified as a dissociative anesthetic. It has FDA approval, like I said, um, for anesthesia, procedural sedation, analgesia. Um, its off-label usage includes not only mental health, but um, pain, um, chronic pain. IV infusions is what where a lot of the groundwork for um, um, mental health took off from. Um, patients were, were receiving um, um, IV infusions for pain. And um, kind of the discussion began to brew um, about um, some of the benefits that patients were receiving. Oftentimes, patients who, who suffer from pain also suffer from a decline in mood directly related to pain. Um, it's classified as a disassociative anesthetic because it's disassociation between um, the peripheral and central nervous system is, is primarily its, its mechanism of action for anesthesia. Um, and it's central for um, psychological effects that creates like a subjective experience. And what I mean by that is like the disassociation from from one's body and from one's identity. If 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 when patients have a, a psychedelic experience um, that's induced by ketamine, many of them feel like they're experiencing temporarily this outer body experience, and they're able to really take this outward look at themselves from a third party. Um, a third party perspective. Um, historically, um, research has shown that depression affects us because it's, it contributes to really um, um, what could be characterized as really cyclic thinking. Um, I can't, I won't, I'll never. And you encounter instance after instance of that and it becomes second nature, not because you don't want to think differently, but like I mentioned earlier, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so if you are not in a space or a mindset where you are able to be optimistic or have a positive approach to something, your default mode of thought processes is going to continue to be, um, I can't, I won't, I'll never, um, al along that same negative intrusive thoughts that many people who suffer from mental health disorders find themselves in this cyclic thought process of um, ketamine by the by means of neurological um, activities um, induces um, connections among neuronal networks that activate default mode networks, the DMN. And suddenly, and, and I may be doing a horrible job of explaining this, and I'll try to create a, a better mental picture of it in a minute. And this is all based on um, research that was provided by Fluence. Fluence is an organization that um, continues to promote and advocate for research related to psychedelics, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine. Um, but um, the default network is improved secondary to those neuronal connections where suddenly pathways of thought that you have not been able to take advantage of, um, more positive thought aspects, <clears throat> 
are suddenly activated again. And so what you may find is that um, you encounter robust antidepressant effects after um, a therapeutic dose of ketamine hours up to days after consumption. And I'd also like to interject here and say that ketamine is not for anyone, everyone. It's not a curative, it's not a cure-all. Um, if, if you are considering um, whether or not you even suffer from a mental health diagnosis, it's best that you seek out um, assistance from a licensed clinician in a, in a space that's local to you or in um, with, a, with a licensed prescriber that's licensed in your um, region or state so that you can be comprehensively evaluated and diagnosed and then um, see if you are even a considerable candidate because there are a lot of factors that can disqualify you from therapy. But with Ooh, that okay. said, for those who are appropriate candidates for therapy, um, there are very robust antidepressant effects upwards to hours after consumption to days after consumption. And that's in stark contrast to um, some of the antidepressant therapy that we were referencing earlier that's that's our non-schedule. That's your your Lexapros, your, your Zoloft. Most of those medications, um, they're serotonin reuptake inhibitors or they affect um, serotonin levels. And so they, because they're affecting, you know, naturally produced neurotransmitters and enhancing those levels from a very organic state, they take a little bit longer in order to reap the benefits of for right. most eight to 12 weeks. And ketamine is just in a space where, um, because its effects can be seen more rapidly, um, it can be effective, even using conjunction, again, as adjunct to those medications. So if you're someone who is on antidepressant therapy, um, and you are considering, you know, improving, improving um, your baseline, then speaking to your um, speaking to your prescriber about integrating it um, is a good place to start the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that breakdown. And I want to go back to when you're talking about more of the, I guess, the, the biology of or the physiology. Is it physiology or biology? You're talking about the pharmacodynamics. I got you. Yes, that word, pharmacodynamics. I have never heard of that until today. So I got to plug that one in my brain. But you were talking about the pathways and what I kind of, I'm like a very visual, visual person. So as people mm -hmm. are expanding, I'm kind of like creating a picture in my head. But it sounds like if you are somebody that's been diagnosed with depression and like you said, you've had kind of the same thought process of like, almost like a roadblock. Like you keep trying to drive down this road mm -hmm. and then the road is closed because you're like, I can't, I won't, I'll never be able to do this. And you can't kind of get your way out of that thinking. Mm -hmm. This, based on what, how you described it, it sounds like it's opening up those pathways that you haven't been able to access. Correct. So my question is, how long do those pathways stay open? Like once they've opened during mm -hmm. that session, even though I know you said like the, that feeling goes away, but are those pathways goes go? Are those pathways still accessible, like three weeks down the road? Excellent question. So um, this really goes back to um, kind of the the colloquial term: if you don't use it, you lose it. So the same way that that um, the kind of a natural erosion of those pathways occurred in the first place um, is is what's always a a, consider a consideration, like long term down the road. Um, how long those pathways immediately stay open are directly related to the formulation of ketamine that are consumed. So if you consume um, ketamine that's um, been compounded for oral consumption, like a sublingual or a rapid dissolvable tablet, um, it could be um, anywhere from maybe days to two weeks. So maybe anywhere from five to 14 days. Intranasal therapy, um, bioavailability also affects um, right of formulation, bioavailability related to oral formulation is anywhere between like 10 and 20%. Intranasal therapy is right around the 50% mark. And when I say intranasal therapy, that's typically yours bravado. Um, it's it's a, a, a form of ketamine that's um, FDA approved from Janssen. And that could be closer to maybe two to four weeks. Um, there's intramuscular injections that have um, a durability that's closer to around six weeks to eight weeks. And then there's um, what could be considered like the top tier of rel relative to bioavailability, 
of IV infusions, eight to 12 weeks. And that's based on medication alone. Um, but there are several studies that show that if you really want to impact the duration of um, maintaining those pathways, what you should do is combine them with psychotherapy. Um, and and I'll, I'll explain it like this, is this is one of the, the ways that I, I kind of paint this picture for my patients. Um, ketamine is, is an adjunct or something to help induce you into this space of cognitive flexibility. Suddenly things that you were experiencing difficulty with adopting, if you have ever been in, in, in a session with a therapist, um, understanding and um, really experiencing and expressing gratitude or mindfulness. It's for, for people who don't suffer from depression, it's not that they don't go through difficult times. It's that biologically and neurologically, they are able to say, well, I didn't get this job. Maybe this one was not for me, um, but I was able to learn from this and I'm going to utilize what I learned from this and move to the next application. For someone who's suffering from clinical depression, it may cause them to withdraw. It's not so easily adaptable for them to consider an alternate perspective. And so ketamine helps to usher you into a space where suddenly you're like, well, this was really difficult for me. I am really disappointed, but I can take a deep breath and at least understand that there's this today doesn't mean that it's the end for me. The way to prolong that thought process is to consider to, I mean, to continue to um, expose yourself to alternate points of perception. The best way that that's done is with consistent integration of psychotherapy, continuing to in, explore and implore that commitment and acceptance therapy. I understand why I'm thinking this way, being able to really separate yourself from your thoughts understanding what evokes those thought processes, and then understanding how you yourself can be a tool in order to manage those more effectively while the ketamine is helping to support you in that space. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. And what I, again, like just visually what I'm seeing in my head is like, okay, this road is now open and like you've driven through it a couple of times, but it might eventually start to like narrow, but you mm -hmm. need that extra assistance. So that talk therapy to be able to keep those pathways open. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you kind of revert back to where you were before. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, but I just wanted to make sure that um, as far as FDA approval, so ketamine is FDA approved. Ketamine is an FDA approved medication um, as a disassociated anesthetic. Right. And that means... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for, for procedures such as um, um, like anything where you may require some sedation um, and, and analgesia, um, what it's used for um, in mental health, it's used as an off-label medication. So it's not FDA approved for specifically mental illness outside of um, Sprobato, the manufacturer who's Jansing. For mental health. Scrobato itself is a form of ketamine. It's one of the ketamine polymers that's been isolated for um, specifically um, antidepressant effects. Hmm. What you run into for oral ketamine that's compounded or injections or um, IV infusions, those are off-label uses of ketamine, which it is an FDA-approved medication. It's just not FDA-approved specifically for mental health. However, a licensed prescriber can provide you with access to it for mental health as off-label usage. Okay, that makes sense. And as far as, I know you've mentioned um, how ketamine can be administered, but I want to make sure like we break it down. So I can either take a pill or be, a, be given a pill in that setting. Mm -hmm. um, the by intranasal, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the intranasal like spray. Spray. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, of mm -hmm. course, into, the into a nair, and then into, the mm -hmm, into a nair, and then the IM intramuscular injection. Okay. Um, it's a it's a small push, 
And then of course, IV infusions is, is you can go into a clinic and have a small infusion done and then you remain in place um, for a few hours thereafter in order to monitor um, any reactions or adverse events. But okay. there's, again, there's IV um, intravenous, IM intramuscular, IN intranasal, and then um, PO or by mouth, um, which is your tablets or your, your sublinguals or your rapid dissolvable tablet formulations. And then there are also troches or what could be considered as lozenges that come in different flavors. Okay. Like a cough drop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That, and as far as where they can be administered. So I know we know um, that somebody has to be a licensed subscriber, not subscriber, prescriber, I'm not watching mm-hmm. YouTube, <laughs> a licensed prescriber. Um, as far as where it can be, we, we've covered how, but where mm-hmm. it can be administered. Do you have to be in that space, like at the office and the person has to physically give it to you? Like, I'm assuming you can't just go to like a CVS or a Walgreens and go pick up your ketamine intranasal spray because that would leave room for you to just kind of do whatever you want with it. Do I need to be in that particular space with that Correct. prescriber? For most formulations, um, you will need to attend or um, commute to a ketamine clinic. Um, certainly for the I, IV, the um, IM, and for many of the intranasal clinics as well. Um, oral consumption, though, is something that's kind of new and robust and it's available for home consumption. Um, but it is also um, monitored. It's you. You are typically um, responsible for having a um, adult party in order to observe you physically and to be present to support you during consumption. Um, again, for safety, both your physical safety and then in the event that you um, enter into what could be um, inclusive of a dark experience. Um, again, because all experiences do not include like rainbows and birch choping and feeling like you become one with the universe. And that's why you have to be really careful and cautious with therapy. Um, But typically when you consume it um, in the home environment, um, there's also someone like a psychedelic assisted therapist or a prescriber or what's considered as an experienced guide, someone who monitors you on screen, just to make sure that you've checked off all of the safety components, making sure that you haven't um, eaten anything um, prior to consumption or consumed any liquids, making sure that there's a, um, a party present with you and that you're not venturing into this space alone, making sure that things like your blood pressure are, um, are not out of range and that you're an appropriate baseline and that, again, your safety um, has been observed so that you can consume it at home. But as far as where you can consume it, um, for um, oral therapy that's been um, designed with home consumption in home, it's going to be much more of a conservative, and in most spaces, it's going to be much more of a conservative dosing, bearing in mind that you're in a a residential space, and there's a a lack of medical intervention that's going to be immediately available to you. So typically, dosing is, is much more conservative, and there are additional safety components to kind of check off in that space. Um, relative to um, in-person consumption, there are also oral con- um, clinics that offer oral consumption. They also, because they're um, in-person, they offer um, intranasal. They can offer um, intramuscular and or IV therapy. And in those spaces, you're typically going to remain in the clinic for upwards of two to three hours after consumption so that they can make sure that one, um, your experience has concluded successfully um, that your vitals and cognition has returned to your baseline, and then that you haven't had any adverse effects, and then um, a responsible party will be um, held with a responsibility to transport you home safely. Wow, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. So it can be one or the other. We can take it at home, but it's going to be very minimal compared to how you'd be administered ketamine and who you're around, like if you're in the clinical setting. All right, so now we know uh, how it can be administered, where it can be administered, who can actually administer it. Um, I want to talk about how much, um, like what's the financial accessibility when it comes to ketamine? What's the cost range? I know you've mentioned different type of ways it can be administered. Is there a cost difference across those? Like what does that look like uh, for somebody? And does insurance cover it? That's the most important question in mental health. Most important question. <laughs> Money is always like a really important aspect of, of care, like healthcare. One of the biggest things about healthcare 
is access, right? Um, and that that's across the board. And then when it comes to mental health access, um, that's like an entirely different like ball of yarn in itself. Um, over the past two years, so many clinicians, um, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, you name it, they've they've retired or um, um, relocated, and this question about access is 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 one that's real and true. So when it comes to financial contributions, in order to um, adopt this this treatment option, if it's something that's interesting to you. Um, you kind of have to be prepared for what's to come. So think about it like this. We, we talked about intravenous therapy earlier. With it having a duration or a threshold of 8 to 12 weeks, you can kind of deduce that it's going to be more costly than the others because it has the longest you know, duration of, of therapy. And so it's typically somewhere around the thousands of dollars mark, um, anywhere from one to two. And that's specific to um, regions. Um, I am therapy, a little um, shorter in duration of benefit, closer to like the six to eight week mark. Um, so still probably up there with thousands in many cases, um, but a little less in comparison to IV therapy. Spravato is the intranasal therapy um, for some, um, their insurance, depending on, on who their insurance provider is, um, it may be covered either partially or fully, but not for all. There are some patients who've um, been expected to have out-of-pocket costs, which is, of course, what we incur as, as customers, um, of around the $800 mark. And then when it comes to oral consumption, the rapid dissolvable tablets, um, it could be closer to anywhere from maybe $500 to $900, and that could cover you anywhere from maybe one to three months, to, again, depending on your region and um, the clinic that you're seeking and how many sessions it includes over the course of um, any number of weeks, four, six, eight, 12 weeks. Different, different clinics um, offer different packages. Some include six sessions, some include four sessions, some include um, three months of sessions. It's it's a matter of how they package um, um, sessions and visits and the number of sessions and accompanying medication that's included in that. So um, kind of broad generalization is um, hundreds for oral consumption, um, hundreds to a thousand for intranasal, um, thousand to maybe mid two thousand, a thousand to maybe 1500 for IM and then one to two or three for infusions. They can get the infusions. I know that they can get costly. Um, comparably, comparably, considering like the cost, when you factor in the duration of benefit, um, it, it's almost equal because if you consider what you could consume over the course of three months orally, right versus an infusion that um, is going to last a little bit longer, cost comparison is, is it's, it's fairly equal. The difference is, is that if you're someone who is unsure about if this is going to be um, effective for you and you just want to consider trialing it, maybe you're not someone who can commit to $2,000 in therapy, but maybe 500 is, is more reasonable. And that's something that you are able to um, consider, you know, with more of a trial and say, if, if this is for me, then I'll, I'll make provisions to move forward. Um, that's one of the things that, that can be helpful with regard to the financial aspect. Um, but you do have to keep in mind that the different formulations do have different bioavailability. They have, do have different durations of um, benefit. And you'll also want to plan to continue the therapy in a space that's comfortable for you, um, even financially. Right. And as far as, because I think we both know that mental health, costs is a huge barrier in mental health, particularly for our community. So in the future, I know that this is, this is something that, I, I mean, I feel is, is just kind of picking back up again. 
um, as far as the integration to the clinical setting, but do you foresee it being becoming more affordable at some point, like in the near future, or is that, are we 10 years away? Are we five years away? Like just from your personal experience? I would say, I'll, I'll say this, a year ago, there were two years ago, ketamine, access to ketamine in clinics were far and few in between. Two years ago, there wasn't really even a, a conversation about um, oral ketamine consumption. It was a, a lot of spravato, spravato, because spravato was the new and more accessible formulary. Um, before then, you know, two years prior to that, it was primarily infusions and in, in intramuscular therapy. And because there are these um, waves of research and um, um, in creating, you know, accessibility, costs have come down in comparison. And so two years from now, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, um, who knows where um, access and not just related to ketamine, but um, for example, in the state of Oregon, um, Oregon is, is rolling out an option to become certified as a, as a, as a facility that can um, provide psilocybin um, mm -hmm. therapy. And so with regard to ketamine specifically, when speaking about accessibility and um, affordability, we're already in a space of, of evolution and improvement from where we were two years ago. So two years from now, I, I, I foresee a continuation of improvement in that space, certainly with the research that's supporting, um, continuing to support psychedelic therapy and where many states, um, like as previously stated, um, as far as Oregon are moving towards with consideration of um, the therapeutic benefit of, of you know, these options and, and what it could mean for patients in the future. Well, that's hopeful. I mean, that, that's really positive to hear. It is positive to hear that there has been changes and hopefully in the future, those changes continue. And at some point it becomes more and more available financially for people. Because, you know, when you think about it, even if this is something that you want to that you want to explore, and maybe you're already doing like cognitive behavioral therapy with a therapist, mm -hmm. well, that's that's a cost in of itself. On of the course. Side. Maybe you're also on antidepressants, which is another additional cost. Mm -hmm. And so this is this is adding quite quite uh, quite a few more dollar signs. So if you are capable, and this is something that that, uh, that is it within reach. That's great, but I, I'm looking forward to the point where it becomes uh, even more, more affordable. Exactly. Yeah. Even more um, affordable. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's the hope with for the whole realm of mental health. But um, so I want to just talk really quickly about um, I don't even want to say diversity in the psychedelic mental health space, but particularly for Black people, Black women, like. How does it look out there where you are <laughs> in that mental health space? How, how many, like, are you seeing a lot of black providers, black female providers um, in, in, the, in this particular subsection of mental health? Um, so I'll start broadly. So I mentioned earlier that I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and I'm, I'm happy, I'm ecstatic to say that I am not alone in that space. Um, we Yay, are here. We are here. We we want to be representative of this community. We want to create access. We want to provide education. Um, we 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 see the void, and and many of us are answering to that call. Um, when you move into kind of like the subsection of psychedelics, psychedelics is still fairly new. Um, a lot, a lot of the research that contributes to where we are today has been, you know, really kind of building momentum since like the early 2000s. And so even in 2022, um, we're still really on in, in like the, the baby's breath stages of, of psychedelics and a pathway moving forward. Again, um, ketamine is, is an FDA-approved medication, and that's one of the reasons why we're even having this conversation in space if we were talking about any of the others, psilocybin or LSD or MDMA, we'd be talking about, you know, um, 
you know, expect expectations for the future. Yeah, hypotheticals um, at that point. Absolutely. Um, but when it comes to um, diversity in this space, I'll, I'll speak to my own individual experiences. Um, I've had the pleasure of working on um, with a few platforms and um, we're still entering into this space. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm here so that um, for those who look like me and sound like me and come from where I come from and um, want to log into a space or walk into an office and, and want to feel heard and understood when we present with, you know, some of, some of what we experience and don't want to have to explain that in kind of like this nuanced space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. Do I feel like we're in a space where um, the numbers are efficient yet? Unfortunately, no. Um, there are lots of women in this space. Um, are there women uh, who are, are, are members of my other minorities communities in this space? Yes. Um, but there, we're far and few in between. Again, I'm speaking to my own individual experiences. I'm not saying that they're not out there. Um, I've, I've worked with one other um, woman of color in a space, and I'm, I'm actively recruiting um, lots of skilled clinicians and always excited when other women of color um, present just interested in the opportunity. Um, I've attended a, a training um, and I was the only um, minority woman um, prescriber in that space. Wow. And it's, it's, I understand that it's young and I understand that it's evolving. And um, I hope that at least my presence in this space is the catalyst for someone else to at least consider it, even if they haven't. And if they are considering it, um, take the leap and see where it goes for you. Yes. Um, I want to just give you your flowers now because the fact that you're in this space um, as a, as a highly educated black woman and you being in this space, um, I know it's not always easy navigating those spaces on your own, especially when there's no other black people, but then there's also barely any women of color or people of color. Um, It can be, sticky right (laughs) it can be sticky but i do just want to give you your flowers because i think you're you're trailblazing for us within this space and i think that's extremely important um i know i am always interested in like different aspects of mental health but i know with psychedelics it can be um, an interesting conversation particularly within our community sometimes Mm -hmm. it'll get shut down pretty quickly um there's a lot of stereotypes around it but i think this conversation has been really helpful um, before we wrap up, I do want to just ask you really quickly, because I know some people probably heard ketamine and they're like, oh, I know what that is. Like, you know, maybe they've been in a, what's the word? In a um, rave. In a rave or, <laughs> you know, at a club. And this is this is something, I know that there's like nicknames like Special K and stuff like mm-hmm. when it comes to street drugs, but what are some of the dangers of street ketamine? If you can kind of give us that. Sure. Um, street ketamine, just like street opioids or street benzodiazepines, or um, it's it's not it's it's not isolated from the dangers of any other street drug. So one of the number one issues with street drugs is that you don't you don't know what you're getting, right? Um, a person could compound anything and name it anything and sell you anything sight unseen, and so. This is absolutely not and me advocating for consumption of um, anything that's not prescribed and um, provided by a licensed mental health clinician and a reputable pharmacy. Um, I cannot caution you and the audience enough about consuming medications off of the street. I mentioned earlier that um, I also treat substance use disorders and um, fentanyl's in everything. It's, it's in everything. I, um, the number of patients that um, will, will inform you that they don't use um, fentanyl and they never have and then suddenly screen positive for it. Over the past year, fentanyl is a, a cheap and um, very, very affordable. Scary. 
Right. It's a cheap and very affordable additive that can be utilized in, in several different compounds in order to produce an effect. Um, because again, if you're buying something off of the street, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be therapeutic. It just has to produce um, a certain sense of euphoria. And then who are you going to complain to? Like, you're not going to go back to the pharmacist and say, hey, I'd like a refund because, right. you know, you gave me the wrong thing. And so um, I caution anyone against that. And, and with ketamine it, itself, um, even prescribed medications, you have to be mindful, again, about dosing protocol. Um, there is a reason that you should see a licensed mental health clinician if you're interested in integrating the therapy, one, to make sure that you're an appropriate candidate for therapy because there are certain um, medical um, illnesses that can disqualify you for therapy. And then there are also certain mental health conditions that could disqualify you from therapy. So um, if you're thinking about, if you're number one, if you're wondering about um, if you suffer from any mental health conditions, see a licensed provider. And then number two, if you're interested in any form of treatment, ketamine or otherwise, um, discuss that with a mental health provider. If you don't have a current mental health provider, you can start those conversations with a primary care provider. Um, they are able to have at least a baseline conversation with you about things that are available to you and then assisting you with a referral from there. Um, side effects of ketamine can include things like um, increased systemic pressures, blood pressure, intracranial pressure, um, intraocular pressure. So if pressure, so if you suffer from glaucoma or if you suffer from um, stroke history or um, any bleeds or um, already suffer from hypertension, this may not be an effective treatment for you. So consuming something off of the street without a dose um, that you're absolutely certain of um, with um, consideration of additives that you're also um, unaware of, it could absolutely mean a life or death. So I, I caution anyone, and, and this is not um, isolated to ketamine, about consuming medications off of the street because um, we've lost so many people um, over the past few years um, relative to fentanyl and, and very, very small doses can be lethal, you know, so be mindful about that, um, taking things that are not consuming medications that are not prescribed to you, number one, and then number two, consuming medications that um, you're not able to draw a line back to the pharmacy of, certainly off of the street. Yes, 100%, 100%. I want to say one thing, one thing for any of those listeners out there who are currently experiencing difficulty with mental health, please do not forget your resources. 988 is a number that you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. Um, mentalhealth.gov is a resource that's available to you. 988lifeline.org is um, an additional resource to you. And one of my absolute favorites, um, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org, um, is also another and um, final resource for you. If you are someone who's interested in um, additional resources, information, or ongoing research or clinical trials, even for um, psychedelic therapy and psychedelic studies, um, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, is one that I follow closely. There's the Hefter um, Research Institute. There's Mind Medicine um, out of Australia. There's the Beckley Foundation. There's Mind Foundation, Source Foundation, um, and Open Foundation, to name a few of my absolute favorites. Thank you so much for that. And I will make sure to get those links for you guys. That way they are in the description for you. Um, please don't hesitate to use that information if you need it. And if you're a nerd like me, then you'll likely go and click all of those links <laughs> and read up on it. So for the Mind Games answer, I'll give you a quick recap of what the description was for this particular personality disorder. So it's a type of anxious personality disorder where people often feel helpless, submissive, or incapable of taking care of themselves. Uh, they may have trouble making simple decisions. Um, with some help, somebody with this particular disorder can learn self-confidence and self-reliance. The answer is dependent personality disorder. 
Um, so people who have a history of abusive relationships have a higher risk of dependent personality disorder diagnosis. Uh, children who have experienced child abuse or neglect may develop dependent personality disorder. And it may also affect people who have experienced a life-threatening illness during childhood. Um, also, someone with a family member who has dependent personality disorder or another anxiety disorder may be more likely to have this particular diagnosis. Some of the symptoms include avoidance of personal responsibility, difficulty being alone, fear of abandonment, sense of helplessness when relationships end, oversensitivity to criticism, pessimism, and lack of self-confidence, and trouble making everyday decisions. So I've just been on a shtick of going through like and researching tons of personality disorders this past month. So I found this one to be really, really interesting. I hadn't read about it before until now. So I will make sure to put the links uh, that I use for the mind game question and a couple other links uh, if you want to keep researching this particular personality disorder. Dominique, well, thank you so much. This has been extremely helpful. I could probably talk to you for another hour, but I also know it's Sunday and I can't do that, but I appreciate we'll the time. have to put my Christmas tree up, yeah. I know, the hot cocoa, <laughs> the Christmas tree, we got Christmas carols. <laughs> but no, I appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate the work that, that you're doing in that space. And um, I'm super excited to learn more about this. This is something that really interests me. Um, I'm always looking at different studies and articles. So um, I'm excited to, to stay in touch and kind of see how this space evolves. And hopefully Thank at you. some point, you know, you can come back and kind of give us an update on, on what's going on. Um, but yeah, I do just want to say thank you for, for joining us today. All right. Thank you guys for having me. I'll take, I'll keep that open invitation. Yes. The door is wide open. Come back. <laughs> Come back. And for anybody that's listening, thank you so much for listening to another episode. Um, I appreciate everybody that's listening. I appreciate the shares, the uh, the ratings. If you haven't left the rating, leave us a rating. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, but I appreciate the shares. I appreciate you like sharing it in the group text. I see people not just from America that are listening. I see people from the UK listening. I see people in South Africa listening. Like It's super, super exciting to see everybody that's tuning in. I appreciate you. And I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing y'all on the next episode. All right. Bye. I cannot believe I said the mind games answer. <laughs> I've only done that once before. Um, so I guess I've done it now twice, but no, this was super, super like, this was this amazing. Was easy. This wasn't this too easy. I felt you like it was flowing. too easy. <laughs> you were flowing. I was like, let her go. I was like, right oh my, I was like, oh my God, we didn't even get to like all the questions. No worries. I know. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I promise I'll come back. We'll do like a six month check in. Um, after, especially after January, um, I'm expecting big things related to psilocybin, so we can do a continuum later on. So. Oh yes, that's what I'm really. I mean, ketamine is very interesting, actually. I tried to, there's a ketamine clinic in New York mm -hmm. and I had a trip to New York uh, maybe like last year, the year before, it might've been the year before. And I was trying to connect with them and like, nobody would call me back. I would like put in a contact, uh, fill out like a contact form. I could not get a call back from anybody, but I really wanted to just go up there and just talk to them and have a similar conversation. So I think timing is everything because um, they were not black women. And at that point I was like, <laughs> I just got to find somebody to talk to. So I think the timing was right. Like you so eloquently just laid, laid it all out today. Um, but I'm definitely down to check in, you know, late winter, early spring. We can still so. keep in touch before then, yeah. but yeah, I, I definitely want to come bring you back and maybe get into another, like some of the updates on ketamine and then what's going on with psilocybin and, mm -hmm. and all the other fun stuff in this space. Nice. You got it. Yay. All right. Not too much convincing. So that's good. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Lo love to talk. So no, you got it. Yay. Perfect. Well, I, I will let you go. Um, as far as your episode, I'm about, man, I think I've been like on a recording spree this week. So I think I'm like eight or nine episodes back. So I'm going to start nice. releasing them week by week. And I might, okay. 
I don't know, I might drop two in one week. I'm still figuring that out, but we're looking at probably late December, maybe like just before Christmas or just after, but I'll be in touch with just to kind of let you know once I map everything out, what day it'll come out. And then as it gets closer, I'll send you like the reel that I'll be using for it. If you want to post it on yours, if you want to be a collaborator for it, that would be wonderful if you want to do that on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I'll be in touch with all the updates. But in the meantime, have an amazing holiday season. Thank Merry you, Christmas. You no, and um, have fun putting up that tree. Cause yes, I am about to. My, my PJs are laid out. You don't I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I will talk to you soon and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety Too and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal. <laughs>